0: The Grid, a digital frontier. I pictured patriots as they moved throughout our country. Do they look like individuals or small business? Were the rallies like church? I keep dreaming of a world I hope to one day see. And then, today, I got in. Hello, fellow Americans. This is Chris Coleman, your host with the Kingdom Patriot Group. Welcome to The Grid, where faith, politics, and commerce intersect. If you're a business owner, you know hiring quality team members is a real challenge. And a bad hire can destroy workplace culture and cost you tens of thousands of dollars to unwind.
1: That's why we use Red Balloon. Red Balloon specializes in connecting job seekers and employers with aligned values, without all that woke nonsense.
0: Over 15,000 job seekers visit redballoon.work every single week, looking for businesses that won't force them to pledge allegiance to a bunch of liberal policies. Every job seeker
1: on Red Balloon pledges to pursue excellence in their work, create success for
0: themselves and their employers, and avoid bringing personal political agendas into the workplace. At redballoon.org, learn about the packages for entrepreneurs, small businesses, larger enterprise businesses, and even a recruiter service to help you find the right people.
1: Finding the right people can make or break your company's future.
0: Check out redballoon.work today. Welcome to this week's News in Review. Well, the Senate votes to kill a $400 billion student loan handout. Remember what the administration did that we know is unconstitutional? Well, it's setting up this to be a uh, veto by Biden, number five, as I understand it. What's crazy about this is that the administration does something that is unconstitutional, so Congress passes a law to make sure it's clear, then the administration is going to V the legislation that was meant to put in place to counteract an unconstitutional administrative action. So as I think about these executive orders and what this administration does, this is crazy. But this is not going to stand. It was always a ploy. The administration never had the authority to do this. Also, speaking of Biden, Obama's former White House physician is literally saying that the White House, even Jill Biden, are literally committing malpractice by allowing Biden to seek re-election. He's saying this guy, and part of this came out because Biden fell at a commencement speech, and he is just looking so feeble. And this doctor is saying, hey, you realize that the president is not just the leading governing authority in our country. They're meant to project strength to the rest of the world, and that Biden is doing anything but that. His cognitive decline, his physical decline do not represent, nor is he capable in any shape or manner of leading this country. If he seeks re-election, by the end of the next term, he would be 86 years old. And at 80 right now, he can barely function. Folks, this just cannot happen. Granted, this may be the best that the Democrats have, because who else are they going to put out there? Kamala Harris? Pete Buttigieg? Yikes. Okay, the rest of our news today is really all about social, social issues, gender, and so forth, and there's so much in the news. Well, to get us started, a Christian teacher in the United Kingdom was actually banned from teaching. They were banned from teaching because of two things that happened. This 32-year-old Sutcliffe recalled how he had congratulated a couple of students on solving a problem one day in class, but he only addressed one of the students. Previously by name. So what I'm saying that is he only said she or he. Well, on this day he congratulated the girl and her friend and said, "Great job, well done, girls." And that in the one girl's mind was misgendering. Well, ultimately the teacher was dismissed, but he went to he went to uh, court and it was settled. It was settled out of court. But ultimately he ended up leaving that organization and ended up teaching and transferring to the Catholic school in London a year later. Well, then a student accused him of showing a Prager University video from conservative personality Ali Beth Stuckey. Now, I've seen some of Ali Beth Stuckey's stuff, and number one, I know she, she has a heart to love and respect all people, but I also know she's a strong conservative voice. One point I'm saying, well, wow, that's awesome. Now, he's denying he showed the video, but I'm thinking Prager, you, Ali Beth Stuckey, hey, I like this guy already. Well, Sutcliffe said that he never showed the video, but he encouraged students they could look it up and watch it outside of class. Well, this panel ruled that he had failed to consider the potential adverse effect on these pupils, and that in doing so, he had acted unprofessionally by allegedly showing the video. And again, Sutcliffe disputed that, and he's like, I mean, you got to be kidding me. This is pretty mild. Did I mention, did you hear correctly, this is a Catholic school that's supposed to be teaching at some point the basis of the word of God. This is crazy. I mean, the potential adverse effects is not teaching what is right and wrong, but I digress. So next we go to shopping. Kohl's is facing all kinds of shopper uproar, if you will, because they're the latest store, in this case, kind of retail clothing store if you've ever been to Kohl's, because they're marketing LGBT clothing to children. So it's just another store. First Target, now Kohl's. Um, well, let's see. What, what's the running total in Target? Something like $15 billion in market cap losses. This stuff is crazy. When will they learn? I guess I'm no longer shopping at Kohl's either. Well, you know, speaking of Target, the controversial transgender Satanist designer, you got that right, we talked about that recently, that was behind some of the Pride products and they were moved from the Target stores, he slammed Target this week and said that Target has set a dangerous precedent. And the reason is, is because Target initially partnered with this UK-based brand called Abrawlin. I'm not sure if I'm saying it right to sell merchandise that has all these pro-LGBTQ messages to celebrate Pride Month. But because consumers were enraged by some of the overtop displays, particularly the ones geared towards infants and young children, well, through that whole controversy, it was revealed that Abprolin's designer Eric Carnell is an outspoken Satanist whose brand features occult imagery and messages like. Satan respects pronouns on the apparel. Well, Target responded to all of this backlash by moving those pride products to other parts of the store, less prominent section, so it wasn't right in the front. So just keep that in mind. Target didn't decide they weren't going to do it. They just said, we're going to move this around so it's not so much in your face. Well, Carnell called this a dangerous precedent. If people get riled up enough about products you're selling, you can completely distance yourself from the LGBT community. And I'm thinking a dangerous precedent? how about what is actually being sold and promulgated? What is being propagated and shared in our in our world? What is being promoted? How is that not a dangerous precedent, trying to literally sell rainbow products and genitalia tucking swimwear to infants? I think he's got this all wrong. Well, as we continue, the New York Times got ripped because they had a piece that they lamented That there was a lack of kink in the new Little Mermaid movie. You got that right. What is this fascination with the left and reaching the kids? I mean, I'm literally speechless. It's like every time I think we've hit rock bottom, we just start to dig. And then in healthcare, we have John Hopkins that's giving their entire medical staff a roadmap in order to figure out how to navigate all of the pronouns that could be used. In Alabama, This is a little different. They actually banned transgender female athletes from participating in women's college sports. The fact that we even have to say this, the fact that we even have to put a statement out, that a university has to put a statement out to say that we're going to ban this tells me how low we've sunk. And then Coca-Cola funds LGBTQ youth event at a Smithsonian showcasing what's called Indigiqueer. I don't even know what that is, but I can tell you that my daughter recently attended college. She, She was a freshman this past year. And as she went to fill out the scholarships from Coca-Cola and Dr. Pepper and seek some of this funding, it became very clear that the winners, when you looked at the past winners, it was all winners who are doing something in this space that are promoting diversity, equity, inclusion, gender, in uh, gender ideation. That's who these organizations support. So you know, this doesn't surprise me that they're actually doing this. And then, in one or more of more outrageous stories, Fashion Magazine. Their cover of their magazine featured a pregnant transgender man. And a lot of people are like, I mean, are you, are you kidding me? I mean, the outrage was pretty strong. I mean, you can't sink any lower than this. You realize, folks, that it is impossible for a man to get pregnant. And maybe, maybe Matt Walsh needs to do a whole nother video called What is a Man? But anyway. And so the last story of insanity when it comes to social and, and gender issues actually comes from the Biden administration. And this administration is attempting to change the definition under Title IX of sex. And what I mean by that is, you have to understand that Title IX was enacted in 1972 to ban sex discrimination in any education program that receives federal funding. But it's always been interpreted, well, at least until recently, is that sex meant biological gender, male and female. But this administration is hell-bent, and I don't use those words lightly, hell-bent, on changing the definition in order to promote its agenda. And finally, in some gender sanity news, we go to the Liberal University of North Carolina. Very surprising. We reported a few weeks ago that UNC was removing the mandate for DEI and all their school documents. Well, now they've even renounced their own DEI framework. What I mean by that is they're actually disbanding their diversity, equity, and inclusion task force without implementing its recommendations. Just a couple months, after they started banning DEI statements and their admission, hiring, promotion, and tenure documents and process. The DEI's task force also had recommendations that were based on DEI protocols from the American Association of Medical Colleges, AAMC, that requires students, these are medical folks, to study topics like unconscious bias awareness, understanding and responding to microaggressions, understanding that America's medical system is structurally racist. So UNC is really pushing back. On all of this. Well, folks, as a Christian, you can treat everyone with love and respect without accepting, promoting, embracing, and celebrating an ideology. This movement has never been about love and respect for the individual. It is a social contagion, a social revolution to remove any remnants of faith in public society. And I find it ironic that the Satanist is at the center of the story of Target because it's just outward visibility to what Christians already have known is true, and that is Satan has targeted families pure and simple. Well, I say way to go, UNC. Will other brave institutions follow? Folks, for this week's news and review, that's a wrap. I'm excited that Sean is joining me again today on The Grid. Welcome, Sean. Hey, Chris. Good to be here again. It's so fun to have you on, especially I know when um, often when you come on The Grid, it's because you have a special burden on your heart that you feel uh led and feel very strongly about sharing and today we're going to be talking about a particular passage of scripture how it relates to our country so we're not necessarily going after a topic per se but there was something in scripture that the lord led you to that you went oh my goodness you want to just give us a brief intro
1: yeah i do and and i want to note that at the time we're recording this it's exactly three sixteen. like whoa that's a big deal yeah chris Earlier this week, I was listening to some folks talking about Deuteronomy chapter 28. And I went and looked and, I'm like, oh my goodness, it's about blessings and curses. And with the nation of Israel and the United States being the two nations on the planet that were born out of covenant. The things that happen to Israel tend to parallel with the US. So when Israel is living for the Lord, there are blessings. When they are not living for the Lord, there is cursing and judgment. The same seems to hold true for the United States, and today we're going to take a look at the patterns in Scripture, and are we on the verge?
0: So, Sean, you made reference to the fact that the United States and Israel are similar in our founding. And I remember when you said that, you pointed to me to the Virginia Compact. Do you think we should read that so our audience knows what we're talking about? I sure do. Well, let me jump in there. And it really, we often talk about our country being started with Judeo-Christian values, Christian principles, that when you look at the three co-equal branches of government, we're often reminded of the Trinity. But to see this, to see the Virginia Compact in 1607 really puts a little bit of meat on that bone. So I'm just going to read that. It was an expedition in 1607 led by Pastor Robert Hunt, and he landed in Virginia Beach, what is today Virginia Beach. And in that expedition, they dedicated our country before we had even been founded, before we even declared independence from England, that this country would be to the glory of God. And here's what he prayed. We do hereby dedicate this land and ourselves to reach the people within these shores with the gospel of Jesus Christ and to raise up godly generations after us and with these generations take the kingdom of God to all the earth. May this covenant of dedication remain to all generations as long as this earth remains and may this land along with England be evangelist to the world. May all who see this cross remember what we have done here and may those who come here to inhabit join us in this Covenant and in this most noble work that the holy scriptures may be fulfilled. Wow. When I read that, it sends chills up my spine. It's powerful. It really is powerful. And as I read that, I hear a pastor whose heart to come to this country, while freedom may be a a big driver of that, his ultimate goal and dedication was to live out the scriptures, was to take the gospel to the unknown world. Or to the little known world, maybe I should say. And so before we dive in, I think, to Deuteronomy and and some of the things that Lord laid on your heart, I think of a country that in of its founding was dedicated to Jesus Christ. And when I when I think of dedicated, I think of covenant. When I think of covenant, I think of obedience. And so can I just read some of the blessings in Deuteronomy 28, the blessings that occur when you are obedient? Oh, yeah, they're good, and they're obvious. It is, it is really interesting. You read this, and here's just some of the things that you read, and you go, wow, this sounds just like our country. So if we fully obey God and carefully follow his commands, we will be blessed in the city and in the country. And I don't think it's a mistake that the Lord would say that, because when you say the city and in the country, what you're saying is everything, <laughs> whether you're, you're, you're rural Or whether you're uh, in suburbia, you're going to be blessed. The fruit of your womb will be blessed. The crops of your land, the young of your livestock, all this will be blessed. You'll be blessed when you come in and when you go out. The Lord will grant that the enemies who rise up against you will be defeated before you. They will come at you from one direction, but flee from you in seven. The Lord will send a blessing to the barns and everything you put your hand to, the Lord will bless you. He will grant you abundant prosperity, and the fruit of the womb, the young of your livestock, the crops of your ground. The Lord will open up the heavens and the storehouse of his bounty, not ours, but of his bounty, to send rain on our land in season and to bless all the hands of our work. These are all of the things that the Lord says he will bless us in, if only we'll be obedient to him. Sean, when I look back on the history of our country, and I look back to the covenant that this pastor made, do you see that hand of blessing in our history? Yeah. Yeah. We became a superpower. In fact, the
1: superpower.
0: Yeah, not just the superpower. In fact, um, it said one thing about the, uh, oh, it, it talked about you will lend to many nations and you will borrow from none. The Lord will make you the head, not the tail. You know, I think it's important that you said that that's not just prosperity. That is, like you said, a superpower. We're leading the world. And I think you see that in our history. I think you can point to our history and see where God's hand of blessing not only stayed the enemy, but also propped us up in historical, uncomparable prosperity as a nation.
1: Yeah, up to a certain point, we have been what you just described. We didn't just lend, we give. We restore nations that we, where we topple dictators. We restore them. Recently, we may not do a very effective job about that, but Japan, we could own Japan. We don't. We could own so many of the countries whose wickedness we defeated in war, and yet we give it
0: back to them. I know. It's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. And so, you know, when I read scripture, though, God is always a God of choice and contrast. And he says, if we obey, here are the blessings that are going to follow. But that he doesn't stop there, and this is the sobering part of choice, is that if you disobey, there's there's consequences that come with that as well. Do you want to talk about that?
1: Ah, oh, Dude, in Deuteronomy 28, it goes from 15 to uh, 68, I think. I, I had it written down. You'd think it'd be right in front of me. Uh, 15 to 64. So the cursings go from verse 15 to 68. So... It looks like there's an overview starting in 58, so I'm just going to hit that first. If you do not carefully follow all the words of this law, which are written in this book, and do not revere the glorious and awesome name, the Lord your God, the Lord will send fearful plagues on you and your descendants, harsh and prolonged disasters, and severe and lingering illnesses. He will bring on you all the diseases of Egypt that you dreaded, and they will cling to you. The Lord will also bring on you every kind of sickness and disaster not recorded in this book of the law until you are destroyed." That's kind of the overview. So I bulleted a good portion of this, so we're not even going to cover the whole thing because that's a lot to cover. You will be cursed in the city, cursed in the country. You'll, your basket and your kneading troth will be cursed. The fruit of your womb will be cursed. The crops of your land, your calves, your lambs, your flocks, all of that will be cursed. The Lord will send on you curses, confusion, rebuke in everything you put your hand to. The Lord will send plagues and diseases and destroy you in the land that you are entering into possess. He will strike us with wasting disease, with fever and inflammation, just all kinds of stuff. Then in 26, he tells us, the Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. You will come at them in one direction, but flee in seven, just the opposite of the blessing that you mentioned a moment ago. You will become a thing of horror to all the kingdoms on earth. Your carcasses, will be food for the birds and the wild animals, and there will be no one to frighten them away. Let's go down to labor and toil. You'll build a house, but you will not live in it. You'll plant a vineyard, but you will not even be able to enjoy its fruit. Your ox will be slaughtered before your eyes. Your sheep will be given to your enemies. Your sons and daughters will be given over to another nation. And then if we slip down a little bit further, we can look at the nation. The Lord will drive you and the king you set over you to a nation unknown to you and your ancestors. There you will worship with gods of wood and stone. You will become a thing of horror, a byword, and an object of ridicule. And then so much more, so much more.
0: As I read this, and especially in these categories, I mean, the Lord is literally saying, you will be cursed— in every way, you will be cursed because your enemies will overtake you. You will be cursed in your physical state, your you know physical illness and health. You'll be cursed in your work, in your labor and toil. You will be cursed in the leadership of your country as your nation will fall. And you will be cursed in the area of provision and sustenance because of the very ground that you have will be cursed. Sean, when I read that, that seems all-encompassing and most complete.
1: Oh, I agree. And what you just read really, I think, is the heart of what needs to be conveyed today, what you just read, those passages right there. Because when I look at the news and I look at what is going on in our country, is this describing us? Not yet. But anybody who's watching the news can see that we are literally on the brim. We are right there at the edge. We are on the verge.
0: Okay, I see shared videos every day of one-year-old Johnny falling asleep with his face in his birthday cake. If you can share that video, surely you can
1: share The Grid with your friends and neighbors.
0: Post it on Facebook, like it on YouTube, share it on Twitter, email it, text it. And for goodness sake, hit that like button and give us a five-star rating when you listen.
1: Thank you for joining the fight for faith and freedom.
0: I've heard it often said like this, we are playing with fire, literal fire, Sodom and Gomorrah type of fire. We are.
1: We are. One of the signs that a nation is about to be judged, I can't remember who said this, but it just really rung in my heart and my head. One of the signs that a nation is about to be judged is that its people no longer repent when they're called on the carpet. And we see that in the news all the time somebody gets called out about something and the person who who calls them out ends up in jail.
0: Yeah. I just read an article right before we started this podcast about a woman, a drunk driver hit a minivan at 87 miles an hour. She was drunk. And when she hit the minivan, she killed the husband and the one-year-old child and the mother survived. When the police checked this woman out who had been drinking because she apparently wasn't that injured she laughed. She had just killed two people and was laughing and giggling about it. Mm. And when you say unrepentant, you know, repentance is an outward expression of heart activity. And lack of repentance is also an outward expression of the lack of heart activity. I think you're right. I think we're seeing that in our country, that the heart of this nation is not a heart of repentance. It's a heart of lawlessness. It's a heart of selfishness, and I know that's probably a hard message for people who push all of these different ideologies and gender ideations and progressive movements. But at the end of the day, all of these movements are so selfish; they're so inward-focused that it drives me nuts. And what is that? That's pride. We could do a whole. Podcast.
1: They really are. We,
0: we could. We we could do a whole podcast on pride. I think, but pride, lawlessness—these are all things that Scripture doesn't talk about just once. They're absolutely abundantly addressed in Scripture that these are a bad path to be on. And you know the scripture well, but um, it says in the New Testament, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. The word proud, one of those definitions, or not not proud, I'm sorry, opposes, God opposes the proud. One of the definitions of that when you look up the Greek is to wage war against. That God literally will wage war against the proud. As I read, in the news, like you said, and I see the, the, the state of lawlessness in our country, God is opposing us. And I, that is not a popular message because our culture, you know, there, there was 30, 40 years ago, there was a lot of talk about God's judgment and wrath. And then there was the Jesus movement. And today, though, I, I feel like the pendulum has swung too far about God's grace and mercy, and we don't talk about his judgment. And the thing is, mercy did not replace judgment. Mercy covered judgment. God's wrath still was fulfilled but it was fulfilled through Jesus Christ on the cross. And so when we, if if we ignore God's judgment on a nation, we are missing part of the character of God, the part of him that is holiness that cannot and will not stand the presence of rampant sin, unrepentant sin. Exactly.
1: So good. I recently had lunch with a coworker who I just recently met born-again believer on Fire for Jesus, and we were supposed to be talking about something else, but we ended up just having amazing fellowship. And she reminded me that in the face of what looks like a powerful nation just crumbling in upon itself, as its people foolishly embrace one sin and one wicked practice after another, she reminded me That 80 million votes were cast for one particular man to be present. And most of those votes were by people who claimed to believe in Jesus. And then she connected that to what God said to Abraham about Sodom and Gomorrah. If he could find 50 and then got whittled down to just 10, he would spare them. And I felt a lot of hope. And what she said about that, because there are more than 10 believers. You and I can both think of way more than 50 believers in this country that are praying for our nation. That brings hope.
0: It does. And, uh, you know, I think she makes a good point, too, that you can look strong on the outside but crumbling on the inside. Um, I don't know if you know this, but in in healthcare, we have... I, I, don't, I forget what the, the condition is called or, or the situation, but usually right before someone dies, they have almost what looks like an amazing recovery. It's like that last gasp of energy. And you'll have somebody that is suffering and suffering and suffering. And then when they're getting close to the end, all of a sudden they're doing really well for a day. And you're like, what is going on? And then they pass away. Why? It's the last gasp before death comes. And I wonder if we see, if we're heading in that direction in our country, you know, I, I think as you put that warning out there, we're not there yet, but we are seeing, we are seeing evidence of God's coming judgment. I think Jonathan Kahn calls it the, the harbingers. We, we see some of these things that are like God's warning, but warning precedes judgment. And if we don't repent, the nation is going to face God's full wrath. But how I wanted to close this part of the conversation was a scripture that the Lord has laid on my heart for some time. And it's because the scripture, I believe, is misquoted. And it's the scripture that talks about how God will heal our land if we repent, which is true. But it misses the most important context of God's engagement in the judgment prior to the healing. And so that part of the scripture is always missed. I want to read it. It's Second Chronicles 7. 13 through 14, not just 14. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command locusts to devour the land, or send a plague among my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and we heal their land. And I think I would call out, don't think for a moment. I'm talking not just to you, Sean, I'm talking to the whole audience. Don't think for a moment that God is not actively engaged when our country is facing what I would call are those warnings that precede judgment. God is actively engaged and he's calling us to humility. He's calling us to pray. He's calling us to seek his face. He's calling us to turn and repent. All of that precedes him forgiving our sin and healing our land. So I just wanted to call that out, Sean. Um, I know we've talked about the scripture many times, but I think sometimes we think that God doesn't bring judgment, that God doesn't bring pain. And that's just not, not consistent with scripture. No, it isn't.
1: And I think also to go along with that is the simple fact that there's a lot of life that's really hard. And we often have a cartoon vision of what the kingdom is really like. But as a a video I saw yesterday, somebody who was given over to sin hit Abel with a rock and killed him. Yep. And somebody who had a heart after God hit a wicked giant with a rock and killed him. It's not the rock. It's what's behind the rock. And not to get into something about gun control, but... That'd be an easy segue, though. (laughs) (laughs) Which would be a great, awesome segue, because that was a really awesome... Very brief clip. But the deal is, in both cases, somebody died. And we've got folks in other countries who are whipped, who are brutalized, who are imprisoned, who are just facing all kinds of torture because they trust Jesus. And it is ugly. Ugly. And we ugly and brutal and and we often forget and it's easy for us to forget in America that sometimes life even in faith is going to be like whoa we we may face some brutal stuff
0: Yeah I I agree I really appreciate that analogy cuz I hadn't really thought of it that way but but like you said you know Cain killed Abel in outright sin David killed Goliath In righteous deliverance. Mm -hmm. And in both cases, somebody experienced pain. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: So I think, really, to just round things
0: up, are
1: we on the verge? Yes, we are on the verge, but we can come back. We can repent. We can live individually. We can live lives of influence. We can live a righteous life we can pray, and we can believe God to turn big things around. And if the Lord decides that he's going to send judgment upon a particular city, we see patterns throughout the Old Testament where the Lord passed out judgment, and he would do it on a town or a city. He would be very precise about it. And at other times, he would do a whole nation. We can trust God, That if we happen to be in that place that's going to be judged, that He will warn us to get out. So, we need to trust Him and be listening at all times, and we can therefore escape His judgment, because His judgment does not come upon those who are following
0: Him. This is
1: good news.
0: Gospel of Jesus Christ absolutely is good news. I know, I know, you are busy doing life and being a responsible citizen. But we need you. America needs you. You have to get involved. Go to kingdompatriot.us and sign up for our free email alerts. That way we can keep you informed so you can inform others. That's kingdompatriot.us. Join the fight for faith and freedom. Well, Sean, I think maybe my last thoughts is that I would point our audience to the first chapter of Nehemiah when he found out what was going on in Jerusalem, and he prayed a prayer that I think we would all be wise to think about and embrace. And this is what he, I'm not going to read the prayer, but this is what I'm calling our country to, I'm calling all of us to. He sat down and he wept when he heard the report. We should sit down and weep for the condition of our country. Nehemiah mourned and he fasted and he prayed before the Lord. We should mourn and we should fast over the state of our country. And he prayed. Number one, he lifted the Lord up and called out his greatness and how awesome he is and talked about and reminded the Lord that he is a covenant keeper with those who love. And he asked the Lord, let your ears hear me. Let your eyes be open and hear my prayer that I'm praying before you day and night for not only your servants, but for the people of Israel. Then he confesses the sins of the Israelites, and he throws himself in them because he said, I am an Israelite. So when I say that the sins that we, the nation has committed, I've committed those myself, including my father's family, and that we have acted wickedly towards you, Lord, and we have not obeyed your commands and decrees as you had given Moses. Well, we have not obeyed. The commands, when we read these blessings and, and, and we've experienced those because of the things that we did in our country, we've, we've become a country that is all but abandoned God. Even though I know there are millions of righteous Christians in this country that are praying, as a nation, we are a secular nation now and we have turned our back on the Lord and we need to repent of that. Even though I haven't done that personally and you haven't done that personally and Christians haven't done that personally, our nation has. And if we're Americans, then we own that. And we need to repent of that on the behalf of our nation. So when I, I just encourage people, that would be that would be my parting thoughts: is to go to the first chapter of Nehemiah and see the humility of Nehemiah as he covers his nation in prayer, as he seeks God's favor. That is
1: awesome. It's practical. It's something that we can do. I would encourage folks to go through and read Deuteronomy twenty-eight, look at those blessings, and then. Look at the cursings and pray for our nation as you go verse by verse. And when we watch the evening news, or we can see it at any time of the day now, and we see people that are getting away with stuff, there's things going on in Washington that most of us have known about for the past two, three, four years, and it's like now it's coming to the surface, the evidence, and it's like, well, it's not news to us but it sure does look like they're getting away with it, we can ask the Lord for justice. Ask the Lord for justice. Believe him for justice because he loves this nation. He loves Israel. He loves us. As you pointed out earlier, Chris, we need to humble ourselves. He doesn't love us because we are the United States of America. Big deal. Many nations have come and gone. We're just another one. If we keep doing what we're doing, he loves us because our forefathers committed themselves, our country and the land to his
0: glory. Amen to that. Sean, I know this podcast is pretty sobering as we talk about this, but one thing that you said during the the podcast when you had lunch with a friend was hope. I want to make sure as we hop off the podcast together that we remind people that Jesus Christ is truly our eternal hope. And there is hope in that. Even though this is a sobering podcast, it's a sobering topic, there is always hope. And why? Because there's always Jesus.
1: Oh, yeah. This serves as a warning, folks, that we're there. But the hope is we don't have to go there. We don't have to go there. And it's not about America being great again. It's about let's restore Jesus to his proper place in our
0: nation. Amen. Hallelujah. Sean, it was fantastic to have you on the podcast. It's been a while since we've gotten together to do one. Logistics are always uh, challenging in this world, in this this time and season, I suppose. But always a pleasure to sharpen iron with you and uh, pull out God's Word and to keep looking forward towards Jesus Christ, our eternal hope. Till next time. Till next time. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of The Grid. And a special thanks to our sponsor, Red Balloon, and all the pushback they're doing against wokeness in the workplace. Go to redballoon.work today to learn how like-minded job seekers and employers can find each other. Be sure to visit our website at kingdompatriot.us to join the movement of faith and freedom. That's kingdompatriot.us. Join today so that together we can make a difference. Your membership is appreciated, your input is valued, and your voice is needed. I'm Chris Coleman, and I am a Kingdom Patriot.